Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today. So, just so you know, this is our soft open. <laughs> and so next week is our grand opening, so we're excited about that. I have a list of people that we're going to talk about and discuss next week, and so I just wanted to let you guys know that there's a, there's a long list of people who have been here probably uh, every day for three months. So we've got a little ring there. You, I, I'm sure you guys can hear it. Um, this is an interesting message for this week and next week as we continue with our series in the book of Revelation. And uh, this week, the message is called A Self-Reliant Church is a Useless Church. So there was a time not too long ago, Grace Life as a church was growing a little bit complacent. It was right before COVID. I remember it well. Attendance was up. Cash flow was our strongest ever. We were comfortable at McCurdy's. We were comfortable at 1900. Well, as comfortable as you can be at 1900. <laughs> and we were settling in at Swift Road. <clears throat> we had just started preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And our core ministries of the Grace Life Food Pantry and Grace Life Recovery were all booming. We had it all handled. There weren't many uncertainties, frankly, but Grace Life was no doubt looking back, growing complacent, becoming a little self-reliant, and we didn't even realize it. Then COVID hit. Money got tight. And we couldn't meet for months. And, and we, we lost, lost some people, people because of it. And, and then, then during that time, loss and grief hit our church more than once as we lost precious people. You know what these last two and a half years have taught us? Grace life cannot be self-reliant ever again. We need to cling to Jesus each and every day. Let's look at our passage this week. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, pit uh, pitiable poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. No clicking there. Can you fix that for me? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There is some interesting history in this passage. I want you to see that this was a church and a city with everything. It was a rich and powerful city, Laodicea. It was a powerful, wealthy financial center, if you would allow me, sort of like a, a comparison would be like New York City or London today. 
Financial businesses and banks made their home there. It was a big city and it grew fast. And it was also known for medical research. It was famous actually for ointments and salves, particularly ones that would be helpful with eyes so that people could see when they were going blind and ailments that had to do with the eyes. The city also had a robust high-end clothing industry, like, like you know, like, uh, I was gonna say Jordash, but that's old, right? That's like 1980s. <laughs> What's a new name? Like, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. I don't know any of the Levi's, Levi's. I don't... <clears throat> the city had become extremely, why did I think of Jordash? That's embarrassing. The city... <laughs> The city was extremely wealthy. It was very self-reliant. The city itself was independent. You remember an example from a few weeks ago? We learned how Caesar had to rebuild the city of Philadelphia. Do you guys remember that? After this massive earthquake, he had to come in and rebuild it, and they named it after him, New Caesarea. Well, Laodicea experienced a devastating earthquake about 70 years later in 60 AD, and Rome offered to help build Laodicea. And Laodicea turned it down. They said, no, we got enough people. We got enough power. We got enough money. We don't need your help. We'd rather keep our own identity. Thank you. But there was a problem in Laodicea. It had water you could not drink, like Mexico. <laughs> like, you've heard that, right? Don't drink the water when you go to Mexico. It's true. Well, because Laodicea had grown so rapidly, it caused a massive water supply problem. They had to import water from two nearby cities. This is fascinating. Heropolis was about six miles north, and it had year-round 105-degree hot water springs that were famous for their healing properties. They're still there today. People would come to Heropolis, Heropolis from all around for these famous springs to be restored and rehabilitated. And then Colossae was just 10 miles to the east. Colossae was, no, was famous for this fresh cold, clean, mountain stream drinking water. It was the best drinking water in the region. And so with its wealth, Laodicea built these impressive underground aqueducts and imported water from both sources, Heropolis and Laodicea. But by the time the water from Heropolis arrived, it was lukewarm. The time the water from Colossae arrived, it was no longer cold. It was the same temperature as Heropolis. The Heropolis water lost its healing properties, and the Colossi water was no longer cold and refreshing and clean to drink. And the water in Laodicea at this point was known for making people sick and making them vomit. You had to boil the water in Laodicea to use it for anything. Everyone knew, Laodicea, great city. But the water is nasty, it's useless, it's terrible, don't drink the water. And then we see this letter to this last church, Jesus has written six letters to six churches already. Clearly, he is preparing them for what they will hear next in Revelation chapter 4 next week. Unbelievable. The throne room of heaven. He's preparing them for that. He rebuked four of the churches for failing to love or apostasy or false teaching and immorality or apathy. But he affirmed all of them in at least some way. Sardis was the least affirmed, but even they had a few names that remained faithful, Jesus said. He only had good things to say about Smyrna and Philadelphia, nothing negative. These two were the poorest, smallest, most suffering churches, who despite that remained faithful. In this last letter to Laodicea, Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say to anyone there about anything. It was a church with lots of money, lots of people, lots of influence, and power, 
and they saw themselves as rich. Jesus says, you say you're rich. They saw themselves as rich and prosperous and blessed. They never had to institute a spending freeze or a budget crunch at church. They never had to worry about losing people. They were very comfortable, believing in all their material possessions, that all those things gave them spiritual advantages over other churches. That's the history. What about the theology of this passage? What does God do and why and how does he do it? It's not clicking. You can fix that for me. Spiritually, I want you to see that uh, this church was making Jesus sick. He starts off with explaining his supremacy. Jesus gives a greeting. Listen carefully to this. There's a clue to the core of why Laodicea was sick spiritually. They had rejected the supremacy of Christ. He starts off with one of the perhaps strongest, best theological statements in all of Scripture about the power and authority of Jesus. Let's look at it. First thing I want you to see is he says he is the amen. When he says he's the amen, here's what it means. I am the origin and the essence of everything that is true. I am truth. I am amen. He is the faithful, meaning he is the author and the perfecter of faith and all who are faithful. He's the one that gives faith. He's the one that keeps faith. He is faith. He says he's the beginning of God's creation. This is important. This is kind of lost in our English translation. It doesn't mean he was the first thing to be created. No, what he's saying is, I am amen, I am faith, and I am the catalyst. I am the power of creation. All these things are things that Laodicea had forgotten. In short, our Jesus is so great, so loving, so powerful, no church should ever even imagine trying to function or live without him. But Laodicea, in their self-sufficiency, had forgotten. It's very similar, actually, you're going to love this. It's very similar to what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Remember where they imported their mountain water from? Look what he says in Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 16. Whoops. Go back. There we go. He is the image of the invisible God. The first, this is Paul writing to Colossae, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So this is why this is interesting, why I bring up Colossians. The church in Colossae was 10 miles from Laodicea, they had rejected the supremacy and the deity of Jesus. And that heresy had actually spread to Laodicea. In fact, Paul tells the Colossians, after you have read my letter, send it to Laodicea. Look what he says in chapter 4, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. They had the same problem. Heresy is contagious. You know, there are places that true, faithful churches can disagree. Spiritual gifts, liturgy, opinions on prophecy and end times. But the preeminent deity of Jesus is non-negotiable. Jesus is God, Lord, King, truth, and he is the only way to salvation. When a church is no longer fully reliant upon the mercy, grace, and power and authority of Jesus, it's not really a church anymore. And he tells them, look, you think you're rich, but you're not rich. Here's the tragic part. The church, like the city, 
was totally self-reliant because of their material wealth and success, but they couldn't see how desperate they were. They were blind to it. And Jesus links to Hosea, an Old Testament prophet, when he rebuked Israel for the same thing back then. Look what he says in Hosea chapter 12, 8 and 9. We're doing some, we've got some problems with the slides, so we'll have to figure that out. You have said, ah, but I am rich. Israel said that about themselves. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God. I will again make you dwell in tents. <laughs> you know, Laodicea, you think you're successful, but really, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, and naked. Your eyes are blind. You need a spiritual salve like the one you sell to other people so that you can really see the truth of who you are. You need to be poor in spirit. Let go of the things you have grown to love more than you love me. Trade in your earthly gold. He says, buy my gold. He says, trade in your earthly gold for what? Treasures in heaven. Exchange your fancy, soiled designer garments that you make for robes of white. And he calls them, as he calls us, to abandon the false security in material things for real security, which is reliance upon sovereign, supreme Jesus. Then he uses another reference to useless water. What do we got going on here, guys? Don't click. Let me... He calls them useless water. Let me explain. Just like in his other six letters... To the other cities, he uses local analogies the church there would be able to relate to. The lukewarm water that he wants to spit out, this is a very misunderstood passage. He's not talking about emotions or passion. It's not this on fire for Jesus thing. It has nothing to do with any of that. That's not what lukewarm, hot and cold means. The analogy of the useless Laodicean water that was lukewarm is about the church in Laodicea being useless for the kingdom. The water in Laodicea is useless, so are you. It's not about emotion. It's about being useful. <clears throat> Just like the use, useless, lukewarm city water that made people sick, Laodicea was making Jesus sick. He wants to spit them out. <clears throat> They aren't like the useful hot healing waters from Heropolis or the cold refreshing water of Colossae. You have become like your Laodicean water, contaminated with no healing powers, no refreshing qualities. As the water goes through your contaminated aqueducts and picks up diseases and loses all of its properties, that is what you have become to me. But he says, I'm knocking at the door. There is one sliver of good news in this letter. <clears throat> Jesus says he corrects those whom he loves and he commands them to repent. It's a good thing that Jesus loves his church, is it not? And, and loves us enough to tell us the truth, even when it's hard or scary to hear more on this later. Jesus says he's knocking at their door, promising to reward them if they just let him in. This isn't, by the way, an evangelistic knock. Jesus is not saying, I'm knocking at your heart's door. Invite me into your heart. That is not what this says. Because you know why? First of all, we know what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, I am the door that you must enter. This is not Jesus saying, let me in so I can save you. No, Jesus says, you want to be saved, you've got to come through me. I am the door. This is a different door. 
This is a door that Jesus wants us to open for him, and it's not about salvation. It's not a person. Matter of fact, it's not even a personal command. Either. We like to read the scripture as Americans like individuals, but it was never really meant to be read that way. It was meant to be read how? In community, as a group. He is saying to the group, I need you, church, in Laodicea, open your door to me. It's not a personal command, but a corporate one for the whole church to let Jesus back into their community. Why have you kicked me out of my own church? Let me back in and I will breathe new life into you. I will make you useful again. I will live among you. I will provide for you. I will eat with you. And when you gather, I will be there in the midst of you. Personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this? You can click it forward for me. We're working on some things here. This is our soft open. Did I mention that to you? (laughs) Jesus is at our door. This was the sermon preview this week. When a church starts to forget how desperately we need Jesus, we become useless for the kingdom of God and our community. This is important for us as we move into this new neighborhood, is it not? When the church in Laodicea became rich and self-reliant and comfortable, they also became useless. See, forgetting how much they needed Jesus, they stopped relying upon him for all the church actually needs if it's going to stay faithful. Question, could Grace Life ever forget how much we need Jesus? Could it ever be that we ever get to the point where we as a church don't answer when he's knocking at our door and wants to come in and be with us? Let me me just start with a humble confession as your pastor. I personally really enjoy (laughs) self-reliance. I really like trusting myself. I love not needing others. I would love to be the pastor. This is my flesh talking, all right? Not my spiritual Joe, but the sinful Joe. I would love to be the pastor of the church that others rely on, not vice versa. So as you can imagine, it's been very humbling for me in the last two years. Let me just start off with the obvious. Click forward for me. Grace life is not rich. Anybody shocked by that? (laughs) Thank goodness we don't have this problem as compared to Laodicea. So let's just close in prayer. We're done here. You know, one thing is for sure about Grace Life today, newsflash, we don't have to worry about trusting in money. Now look, we are so blessed to have this new location. But there is no danger of Grace Life saying, I am rich. And this transition has reminded me, and it should have hopefully reminded Grace Life, that we cannot do any of this without our Jesus. I don't even want to try. This transition has reminded us that we are not self-reliant. Look, in this transition, we lost some people. We lost some parts of our identity that we had begun to take maybe some pride in, maybe wrongfully, some pride in. But this transition, it gave Grace Life the gift of relying upon other churches. Those chairs you're sitting in, they don't belong to us. Ours won't be in until the end of July. A lot of the wires that are being used for these lights and the sound, they don't belong to us. They were given to us. We've been relying upon other churches for equipment and advice. 
and even work, and it's been so encouraging. And you know, there are a lot of unknowns right now in this building. I mean, parking could be a train wreck. We have no idea. What if the building breaks? We have to pay for ACs now when they don't work. I never had to worry about that before. <laughs> Look, one morning we're going to show up in the hot summer and the ACs are going to be broken. Are you ready? That's why we got ceiling fans. Don't worry. What if pipes start breaking all over the place? What if the roof starts leaking? Will we have enough money to fix all this? Look, these are rational fears. And most of them are really out of our control, but it forces me as your pastor, a guy who loves self-reliance, to a different place that makes me a little uncomfortable. But let me tell you what happened to me this week on Tuesday. I remember the moment. It was like Tuesday, 10 a.m. I'm writing this sermon. I'm doing my study. I'm putting work thoughts together. And all of a sudden, as I'm reading this about self-reliance, I can't, I can't really explain it perfectly, but suddenly I became so comforted so comforted by and so grateful for a church family that is surrounded by unknowns. Because Jesus, I could see, is beginning to use all of these uncertainties to remind us of this important truth. You know what it is? Grace life is and will always need to be fully reliant upon our sovereign, supreme Jesus. And that's why I say grace life needs Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is who we want to be. Just to make sure you understand, in case I wasn't clear already, let me just say it one more time as clearly as I can to you, my church family this morning. Grace life desperately needs Jesus. His authority, his supremacy, his presence, and his fellowship. We need it in everything we do. Not only are we not self-sufficient, we're also, in reality, if we have eyes to see, we are hanging by a thread daily, clinging desperately to our preeminent sovereign Jesus. You know why? Because unlike Laodicea, who said we are rich, God has given us eyes to see that we are poor in spirit. Look at this next passage, John 14, 23. This is the last slide for this message. Let me just read it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will, come, we will come to him and make our home with him. Doesn't that sound a lot like I will come in and eat with you? John wrote this gospel in Revelation, by the way. See, the moment we think we are rich, we have all we need, you know what we're really doing? We are shutting the door to Jesus because we don't really need him anymore. Today. As God starts this transition for our church and transforms Grace Life to what we're supposed to be here in Lockwood, and honestly, I'd love to tell you I have a master plan. I don't. I have no idea. I can act like it, you know. But I will tell you, it is exciting, and it is also a little uncertain. Not opening the door to our Jesus in the midst of everything we're doing right now is crazy. We know that he's indispensable. This morning, Grace Life Church family, we have clear eyes. We are desperately in need of our truthful, faithful creator, Jesus. This morning, Grace Life is comforted for Jesus has reminded this little precious church what it means to be poor in spirit. 
This morning, Grace Life is grateful that we are poor because it drives us back to the one who created everything, who is our everything. This morning, Grace Life, this precious little church of saints, is wholly reliant upon our sovereign Jesus for everything that we have and ever dreamed for. Sure, we may have some fears about what's going to happen in the near future and even in the distant, but you know what has me more concerned, what should make me more fearful, what you should fear the most? If Grace Life ever forgets how much we need Jesus. Because you know what happens when we do that? We will become useless, lukewarm water on Lockwood Ridge. So now more than ever, we are relying on Jesus. We want him We need him deep in our midst every step of the way. I don't know what the future holds for Grace Life here at Lockwood Ridge, except for one thing. Right now, I can tell you, when Jesus knocks, we're always going to let him in. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much for what you're doing in our life. Lord, never let us close our door to you. And this is a scary thing to pray. But I'm going to pray it as as the pastor of this church. Keep us desperate. Help us to reject self-reliance. Lord, never let anything get between us and you. Lord Jesus, we are telling you our door is open. Please come in. Be with us, eat with us, live with us. You are truth, you are faith, you are creator. And we are wholly, solely reliant upon you. And Lord, as we go forward with our launch in this new location next week and all the things that we're doing, Lord, we pray that you would never allow us to become useless water. Help us to be living water hot for healing or cold for refreshment. Help us know what we need to do. Give us minds that are creative to be servants in our community and care for those within our sphere and keep us poor in spirit. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, this has been a great Sunday. We see you next week right here, Lockwood Ridge. Have a great week.